Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Joining me for the conversation today in studio here in 1285 Avenue of the Americas. Glad to welcome back Chia Mechi, Emerging Market Strategist with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Chi, great to be with you here at the table today. Thank you for joining us. Great to be back, Dan. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So Chi, I know you're joining our listeners, our clients today to talk about the recent piece, Is India the New China? It sounds like a fascinating topic, which I look forward to diving a bit deeper into it with you. So let's start by maybe providing our listeners with a bit of context on the recent pickup in debates of India economically overtaking China. What can you share with us there? Yeah, of course. So earlier this year in April, India's population overtook that of China. And so currently, India's population stands at about 1.4 billion people, which is 3 million more than China's. And so when this change happened in April, it sparked a lot of conversation about the possibility of India economically surpassing China. And so we definitely want to share some of our views um, and some of the things that we are considering. When you think about both countries, they have very different economic and political profiles Mm -hmm. um, that we think definitely play into their, their growth outlooks. Maybe we can expand on that point you brought up with respect to the political profiles of both India and China. Can you take a few moments to elaborate a bit on that for us? Yeah, of course. So two of the, I guess, the the, the focus areas when we think about the political profiles of both countries are their political systems and governance models. Um, in China, you have a more centralized government, which we've seen makes it more efficient and effective mm-hmm. in both um, kind of reaching resolutions on reforms and then also implementing these reforms. India, on the other hand, is governed by a multi-party democracy. And so there are definitely kind of longer decision-making timelines um, from agreeing on these reforms and then implementing them, which obviously causes some delay and slowdowns um, in these changes that are very important to economic growth. I will say that recently, India's government um, has been taking more of, you know, an initiative in really putting reforms that are both developing and leveraging their, their workforce at the forefront. So recently in 2020, um, they put into place a reform that kind of, uh, relates to their layoff and retrenchment rules. And so now countries that, um, and so now, sorry, companies um, that have 300 employees or less can, um, can retrench workers or adjust their order of operations without needing to file any approval or notification with the government. Why this is important is because for workers in these larger companies, their employment is more protected, right? Mm-hmm. And at the same time, it's made the country's business landscape more conducive for those smaller to medium-sized startup-like firms. Um, and so the government has obviously taken this this step um, to make India a better place for both workers and then companies that are either thinking of starting up operations in the country or moving operations to India. 
Well, it's interesting how the government policy of both countries seems to have direct implications to the economic development, business development within the respective countries. So thank you, Chief, for citing those examples. With respect to demographics of India and China, both vast countries with vast populations, as you pointed out for us, can you take a few moments to break down the demographics of each country? Yeah, I think the the demographics of each country tell an even more interesting story. And so I'll I'll highlight key differences in their working age population. Um, when you think about working age population, this is the part the 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 chunk of a country's population that falls between that 15 to 64 years of age. And so really key in terms of labor supply. India's working age population far outnumbers that of China and is forecasted to continue growing. Mm. And so as it stands, um, India's working age population by the year 2030 is expected to add on 70 million people. Currently, they have 920 million people in the workforce. And so once you add on that that growth in the next seven years, they're pushing close to 1 billion. Mm. China, on the other hand, their working age population peaked in 2015 and is forecasted to fall by 27 million people wow. in 2030. And so this really gives India the upper hand in terms of a large, really solid pool of labor supply as they think about growing their economy. So it sounds like India has a lot of momentum. If you were to identify any challenges with respect to India's growth, what would those look like? As you would expect in any emerging market, India definitely has challenges to their growth out outlook. And one of the key challenges that we've identified is their lack of a solid manufacturing ecosystem. Um, when we've seen countries like China really skyrocket in terms of growth, manufacturing has played a huge role. So China today, for example, um, manufacturing contributes to 30 percent of their GDP. India's manufacturing only contributes to 15 percent oh, wow. of their G GDP. And so we really want to see um, India kind of pick up in manufacturing to support their economic growth. Another layer of that is thinking about the factors that play into manufacturing. India's infrastructure development is definitely lagging behind. And again, their government has identified ways to improve in infrastructure so that those goods that are manufactured can be manufactured easily and then also transported more effectively. One example is in 2021, the prime minister um, kind of administered this national master plan um, that has the goal of improving connectivity and transportation to major economic areas in the country. And so he's enlisting the help of 16 ministries ranging from railway to roadway to um, civil aviation to kind of have integrated planning and implementation of these infrastructure connectivity projects. And so we are, you know, forecasting moves like this, really supporting India's manufacturing growth and their manufacturing de de development, and then ultimately 
feeding into that larger GDP um, and economic uh, outlook. So in the cases of both countries, clearly you have areas of strength, though also possess their share of challenges as well. With that in mind, given everything, Chi, that you've covered with us, what would you identify as being your outlook for both India and China? We have a positive outlook on on India, and we believe that in the near term, um, corporate profits will continue to grow. The key drivers and key supporters of these corporate profits will be mainly financials Mm -hmm. and then those infrastructure players. And so we're forecasting um, a range of low to mid-teens annual average growth rate um, for India's corporate profits. Um, In China specifically, we also have a positive outlook on Chinese stocks, and we're really favoring segments that we believe will benefit from long-term policy tailwinds. Mm -hmm. So think about electric vehicle batteries and the materials that go into producing these renewable energy, especially as energy security is taking center stage, and then um, industrial upgrade beneficiaries. The one thing I will say is that we believe that those like secular outsized earning prospects are already priced into India's performance mm-hmm. because we see their price to earning ratio, um, which is telling you how much you're paying um, for earnings, nearly double that of China's. And so we see that correcting or kind of those um, growth out. Uh, those growth aspects already being priced in. So it sounds like there is a wide range of considerations, opportunities when it comes to one's investment portfolio to be mindful of. So thank you, Chief, for outlining those for us. Before we close out, you've covered a lot for our listeners, our clients on the podcast today. Anything in particular you would like them to take away from this discussion? Yes, of course. So, I mean, this change that happened in April was incredibly important, right? When you think about Um, shifts in terms of global demographics. And so it's understandable that clients and investors have larger questions about what the future of both countries looks like. Um, All in all, I think India's secular growth is more promising than China, but there are economic development gaps that are evident and that we believe will take a long time to sort of narrow and close. Um, from an investment perspective, we believe that the current economic cycle in much of the world continues to be fairly unsynchronized and that the global geopolitical supply chain is constantly being redrawn. And so given this, this kind of landscape and background, um, we think exposure to both China and India um, is important because now more than ever, geographic diversification Mm -hmm. within portfolios is is even more important. And so as investors kind of think about diversifying their portfolios, we see China as India as attractive investment plays. And we remain optimistic about both countries um, and continue to monitor developments and keep a pulse on both of them. Well, to your point, geographic diversification, looking for opportunities outside of the U.S. does remain the chief investment offices. One of their messages in focus, so this aligns very well, this story. It's one that has a lot of runway to it. And as you pointed out, something that will continue to keep our listeners, our clients informed on. Though, Chi, thank you for dropping by the studio. Great to do this with you in person and looking forward to follow-up conversations with you. 
Great. Thank you so much, Dan. Absolutely. And again, the publication we've been referencing on today's podcast is India, the New China, available now up on UBS.com slash CIO for your reference. If you are a client of UBS, please be sure to reach out to your UBS financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of the publication directly. Again, today we have been joined by Chia Mechi, Emerging Market Strategist with the UBS Chief Investment Office from UBS Studios. I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.